Turn, if you would, this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is good to be in your house today, and Lord, we are thankful uh, for the song that was just sung by Brother Randy and just the truth in that message. God, I pray that you would uh, just help us to be thankful and grateful for that, the fact that you came and that you died on the cross for our sins. And God, if there's someone in this room who has never placed their faith in you, I pray that today would be the day that they would do so, that they could have their lives forever changed because of your grace and because of your power. I pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we looked at just a verse of Scripture out of chapter 6, verse number 7, and I just want to remind us of it real quick because I think it's something that we need to be confronted with many times over and over again. But in chapter 6, verse number 7, Solomon said, All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the appetite is not filled. And what Solomon was saying is this, is that men and women have a tendency to work and to work and to work and to work so that we can continue to consume, to consume, to consume, to consume. And Solomon said no matter how much we work, no matter how much we strive to acquire and to achieve and to enjoy, we are never filled, we are never satisfied. And that is true of the human nature when we walk according to the philosophy of this world. And so I tried to remind us last week that as a child of God, there ought to be a point in our lives where we reach a sense of contentment and satisfaction, where we're just grateful and we're okay with what God has already done for us and what we already have provided for us. And whenever we're not grateful, whenever we're not satisfied, it says something about our spiritual lives. And so I don't know if you've thought about that much in the past week. As I've said before, if not, I hope you will this week. But now you've got two things to think about. If that's so, you've got to worry about last week and now this morning. And maybe you won't worry about any of it. I don't know what you'll do. But I, I hope you'll think about it, and I hope that you will uh, give attention to whether or not you are truly satisfied with what God has done in your, in your life and given you. This morning I want to begin by talking about something I know that I've mentioned in times past. I just want us to think about it, though, because we're going to take it a little bit different direction than we have in previous sermons but I want us to think about this truth. I want us to think about this uh, concept that every living creature is born with a sense of instinct. Every living creature is born with a sense of instinct. And all that means is this, is that every living creature has a way of behaving, thinking, or feeling that is not learned. It is not learned. It is as natural for that living creature as anything could be. Again, it's called an instinct. So an instinct is something that is a way of behaving, thinking, or feeling that is not learned. Now, if you think about that, then this truth is pretty obvious and it's pretty clear that we as human beings are born with certain instincts. Would you agree with this? I trust that you would, that that we as human beings, because we are living creatures, we were born with certain instincts, which means this, we have certain ways of behavior, certain ways of thinking, and certain ways of feeling, that it was not something that had to be taught to us, it is not something that we had to learn, it was just natural for us, and this is the way we as people are wired and the way that we are programmed. 
So here's what we know as it relates to instinct, at least for us. Some of our instincts can be good and helpful, while other instincts of ours could be negative or bad and hurtful. Just because it's an instinct doesn't mean it's good, and just because it's an instinct doesn't mean it's bad. And so I'll illustrate it just very quickly. I think most of us would be of this mindset. I think most of us would be of this persuasion that it is natural for us to want to respond to someone who is in need. If we were to see someone in a needful situation, if you and I were to see someone in a desperate situation, I I think for most of us, by way of our instinct, it would be natural of us to want to jump in and render some kind of aid to them because, you know, we'd like to think that we're fairly decent in our thinking and in our behaving and in our feelings. And we would say something like this, if it was us in trouble, we would want someone to help us. So again, by way of instinct, if we saw someone in need, we would want to help them. And I would say that that is a good instinct. Here would be a bad instinct. Something that we did not have to be taught, something that we did not have to learn. It would be something like this, the issue or the subject of revenge. Whenever we've been wronged, nobody had to teach us to try to get back at them, right? Nobody had to say to us, now listen, this would be a golden opportunity for you to do something mean, rude, hurtful, or offensive to them. No, that just came natural for us. It's an instinct, and we would agree, I trust this morning, that this idea of revenge or vengeance or getting back at someone who's done us wrong, I think most of us would say, you know, that's probably not the best instinct we could have. That could be hurtful. That could be harmful. That is certainly unbecoming of us to want to respond that way and yet it's true of every one of us when you see little children and one of them's been wronged what are they naturally instinctively going to do they are going to try to get back at the one who has just hurt them or done something to them that they didn't like that is how we as humans are are programmed and wired and again so I want us to see this. Some of our instincts are good. Some of our instincts are, are negative. They are bad. Whatever you'd like to call them this morning. And so here's what I want us to think about. If an instinct is bad, it's going to hurt us at some point. It is going to do something to us or in our lives that it, it, it is not helpful. And so what we have to do then is this, is if we recognize an instinct to be bad or wrong or hurtful, we have to be willing then to say, okay, here's what I need to do. I need to retrain myself. I need to reprogram myself, so to speak. Now, we would understand that we would say with the help of God that we need to do these things. But if I'm seeing a certain pattern in my life and and I know that it's not good, I know it's not becoming of me, I know it's not something that speaks well of me, and yet that seems to be an instinct of mine, then here's what I've got to say. I've got to say, okay, I, I need to change what is normal for me and I need to change what is just natural for me. And so I have to then, again, with the help of God, with the power of God and the grace of God, I have to reprogram myself to not just fall back to what is my default setting, so to speak. I have to train myself to respond differently than I otherwise would. And that can be a challenge sometimes, can it not? 
It can be very difficult to say, okay, that is what I would normally do, but today I choose not to do that. I'm going to do something different. That can be very, very difficult, yet it has to be done or else we will hurt ourselves and possibly even destroy ourselves. So as we keep that in mind, I want us to change gears a little bit, and I want us to consider something, again, that no one would argue, no one would deny, and just know I'm doing us a favor by only mentioning a few illustrations because we could be here for hours. So this would be a great time in your heart to say, thank you, Brother Kyle. All right, here is what every one of us know that none of us would argue, none of us deny, and that is every one of us are sinners. I mean, it would just take a couple of moments of conversation with each of us to prove, yep, you're a sinner just like I'm a sinner. You have shortcomings and you have faults and you have failures just like I do and just like everyone else does. And so let me just hit a couple of them because these are pretty generic and these are pretty uh, easy for most of us to relate to. I know not everybody will be able to, but we'll come back to them again in a few moments, again, just by way of principle. Here is what I know of myself, and here is what I know of you, and that is if you are married, you are not a perfect spouse. Did you know that? You are not the perfect spouse. You're not the perfect husband. You're not the perfect wife. You are not God's gift to them in the ways that you may think you are to your spouse. Like, baby, you got lucky when you got me. It's, it's really probably not as true as we'd like to pretend that it is. And so here is the reality. As a husband, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make mistakes in my marriage on many, many occasions. There are going to be many times that I'm not as thoughtful as I should be, that I'm not as considered as I ought to be, that, that I'm just not paying attention like I need to be. There are going to be times that I drop the ball as a husband, and certainly there will be times that Susie will drop the ball as a wife, and my marriage is no different than your marriage. You're not a perfect spouse. None of us, as much as we may try to be, are perfect parents. We're just not. No matter what I want to be as a dad, I will never be the perfect father. Somebody says, well, you shouldn't admit that. I'm just telling you right now, I'll not be a perfect father. I want to be as good of a father as I absolutely can be, but I will never be a perfect father. Susie will never be a perfect mother. You will never be a perfect parent. And I'll just bypass all the other things and get to this and remind us that you and I will never be perfect Christians. It's just not going to happen. I'm going to have days and seasons in my spiritual life where I'm not everything I'm supposed to be. I'm going to struggle with my flesh. I'm going to struggle with my humanity like anyone else. And you will have the same struggle in your life. If anyone would ever suggest that they never struggle in their spiritual life, you need to run. Because you are in the presence of a terrible liar. Because every person, I don't care how godly and how saintly they may appear to be, they have struggles because they are a sinner just like everyone else. So it doesn't matter if we're talking about a marriage. It doesn't matter if we're talking about people being parents. It doesn't matter whatever you want to insert there. We're going to struggle. We're going to fail. And we will fail in our spiritual lives. That is just a part of the process of living. But here's what I want us to consider. And we're almost to the text. 
Knowing that we will fail, here is kind of the silver lining to that reality. If we are sensitive to our failures, then there is still hope for us. Meaning, if I am mindful of the fact that I will never be the perfect husband, the perfect father, the perfect Christian, or anything else that you'd like to throw in there, if I can keep in mind that I will never fully arrive, and I am constantly working and constantly striving and constantly putting forth the effort to be what I'm supposed to be, then I'm headed in the right direction. But here's what every one of us knows. That there are times that men and women get comfortable in not being what they know they're supposed to be. They know they're not the husband or the wife they're supposed to be, but they no longer care at this point. They're not worried about it anymore. Their spouse can just deal with it. They know that they're not the parent they're supposed to be. They know they've got anger issues. They know they've got all sorts of, uh, of uh, disconnect with them, the, themselves and their children. They know that, but it doesn't really bother them anymore. And there are certainly many people who call themselves Christians. They're not at all what they're supposed to be, and, and it doesn't bother them. You talk to them and you say, hey, are you doing good on this area? No. Are you doing good in this area? No. What about in this area? No, I'm not doing good. Well, aren't you bothered by it? Yeah, I guess. There are people who reach points in their lives where they know they're not what they're supposed to be and it doesn't bother them. Now, let me just remind us, and you know this, that is not a good position to be in. That is a terrible position to be in when you know you're not where you're supposed to be and you do not care. It's a terrible position to be in because here's what it means. It means you and I will never become the person we're supposed to be if that's our attitude and that's our heart. So all that being said, by way of a lengthy introduction, look now in Ecclesiastes chapter 7. In Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse number 1, notice what Solomon said. He said, a good name is better than precious ointment in the, day of one's, in the day of death than the day of one's birth. Now, verse number one is not our text this morning. It's not what we'll be discussing. I just want us to notice in verse number one what he said. He said, a good name is better than precious ointment. What is he doing? He's making a comparison in verse number one. He is saying, over here you have a good name, and over here you have precious ointment. Over here you have a good reputation. Over here you have a good testimony. Over here you have people who hold you in high regard. And over here you have an ointment, you have an oil, you have a substance that is precious, that is, that is costly, that is of a high dollar value. And here is what Solomon said. He said, I want you to understand that if you have a good name over here and you have precious ointment over here, he said, the good name is better than the costly ointment. What does it mean for something to be better? It means this, it is superior over the other. It's of a better quality. This is more helpful. This is more profitable. This is more advantageous to the person. And so in verse number 1, here is what Solomon said. He did not say that precious ointment is bad, but what he said was this, 
that a good name, a good reputation, a good testimony, it is better than an ointment that is precious or costly or of great value. It is superior. It is more advantageous. It is more profitable for you. So do you see the point that Solomon is making? It's not that ointment is bad if it's, you know, precious. It's not that that in and of itself is a terrible thing, but the good name is better than that. In verse number 3, he said, or verse number 2, rather, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. And we're not going to deal with all of verse number 2, but again, what is Solomon doing? He is showing us a comparison. That if you have the opportunity to go to the house of feasting rather than the house of mourning, it is more advantageous and more profitable and better for you to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. Someone may say, that's crazy. Well, read the scripture and it'll help you find out why. Verse number 3. He said, sorrow is better than laughter. Well, that doesn't seem to make sense. Well, Solomon doesn't care. He's telling us which is better, which is more profitable, and he explains why. Look down in verse number 8. He said, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. So what's he doing in verse number 8? He is showing a comparison. This is better than this. This is more desirable than this. This would be to your advantage more than this. Again, make this very clear as much as, much as I can. He's not saying that this is awful. He's just saying this is better. Does this make sense? This is better for a person than this over here. So where are we headed with all this? Well, notice in verse number 5. In verse number 5, Solomon says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. So what is Solomon saying? He is saying this, one is better than the other. One is superior and one is inferior. One is more profitable, one is less profitable. One is more advantageous and the other is less, less advantageous to an individual. And so here's what he said. He said, to hear the rebuke of the wise, it is better than the song of fools. So what does it mean to hear the rebuke of the wise? Well, here's what the word hear means. It means to listen to something or to give attention to it. To listen or to give attention to something. And so, obviously, in verse number 5, Solomon said it is better to hear the rebuke. Well, what is the rebuke? Well, the rebuke would be this, to correct someone or to admonish them. And the word rebuke has this associated with it, the idea or the sense of sternness. There's maybe some harshness to this. So do you understand what a rebuke is? It's when a person is corrected or admonished and there's possibly even some sternness associated with it. We might say it like this. Well, that was kind of blunt. Well, that wasn't very tactful. Well, that was kind of harsh. Well, that stung just a little bit. Have you ever been rebuked? 
Most of us have been rebuked. We have been corrected. And the correction came with the sense of sternness where it was kind of evident they didn't concern themselves with my feelings. They didn't come to me with the spirit that said something like, I don't want to offend you, however you might consider this. No, we've all been in a position where someone has just said, you need to stop it, you need to fix it, you need to change it, you need to correct this, whatever it may be. And so what Solomon said is it's better to hear or to listen or to give attention to the rebuke, that stern correction of the wise. Well, who are the wise people? We know what the Scripture says about the wise person, if we're a student at all. The wise person is the one who has some discernment, some understanding, some skills, some intellect, some knowledge, an ability to go through life without hitting all the major pitfalls of life. The wise person is the one who I've said many, many times knows how to make good and right decisions for their lives. And so here's what Solomon said. He said, it is better to hear the rebuke of the wise person. Now, before we go any further, I want us to think about this. Why would a wise person ever rebuke someone? It's pretty simple. Because the person, whoever the other person may be, is not living the way they ought to be living. You following this? See, here, here's, here's what it would look like. Say, say you've got a person over here, and they're not perfect. That would be all of us, right? Okay, so over here you've got an individual, they're not perfect because none of us are perfect. But see, here is the person who is not perfect, yet they are continuing to be sensitive to their lack of perfection. They know that they're not the perfect husband. They know they're not the perfect wife, the perfect dad, the perfect mom, the perfect Christian, the perfect employee, whatever it may be. Okay, But they're sensitive to it. So see, a wise person looks at the one who is still sensitive to their imperfections, and they're not going to go rebuke them. Because the person has the wisdom to know they're sensitive to it and they're striving and they're trying. So why would I go hit them over the head with their lack of perfection? But see, the wise person would have enough discernment and discretion to see this person and say something like this. You know what? They're not being the husband or the wife they ought to be. They're not being the parent they're supposed to be, the co-worker they're supposed to be, the Christian they're supposed to be. Again, whatever you want to insert there, and they don't care. They're callous to it. It no longer bothers them. It no longer disturbs them. It, it, it no longer brings about some sense of guilt. And so here's what the wise person does. This is the only reason the wise person would do this, is they see the person who no longer cares, and they go to them, and they go to them with a sense of sternness and a sense of seriousness and says, Listen, buddy, you need to change some of the ways you're living. You need to shape up as a husband. You need to shape up as a mother. You need to shape up in your Christian life. I've been watching you for a while. I've been, you know, observing you for a little bit, and you're not at all what you're supposed to be, and you don't care. That is when a wise person steps up and rebukes, because again, if the person is sensitive, the thing that a wise person would do is step up and say, listen, 
I, would, I, I just want to help you a little bit. I just want to encourage you. I just want to challenge you. But it'll be of a totally different spirit and a totally different mentality. Now again, Solomon said that the rebuke, as painful as it may be, as much as it may sting, he said that is better than for a man to hear the song of fools. What is a fool? Well, he's the exact opposite of a wise person, right? The fool is literally a stupid individual. They are a dullard. They are one who has no discernment, no intellect, no understanding. They're clueless. Now Solomon said, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes there is a song from fools. What does it mean for there to be a song of fools or from fools? Well, here's what the wise person does. They rebuke the one who's not doing what they ought to be doing. The fool sings the praises of the one who is not doing what they ought to be doing. The fool who is clueless says to the one who is not what they're supposed to be, who is not where they ought to be, the fool is the one who says, no, you're fine. No, you're doing okay. No, you don't need to worry about that. No, I think you're doing a great job. I think you're a wonderful husband. I think you're doing a fantastic job as a dad. The fool is the one who says, no, I, I think you're doing fantastic as a wife. I think you're doing fantastic as a mother. I think you're doing fantastic in your spiritual life. Hey, listen, none of us are perfect. Don't worry about it. It'll all be okay. See, there are fools out there who either don't have enough discernment to see when a person is living wrong, or they don't have enough concern to care when other people are living wrong. And so here is what Solomon says is available. A song of fools. And he also made it clear in verse number 5. That a person can hear the song of fools. To listen to it. To give that the attention. Oh, my mom said, I'm a great dad. I must be a great dad. Well, it depends on what kind of mom is telling you you're a great dad. You understand this? My father-in-law says, I'm an excellent wife. It kind of depends on what kind of father-in-law you've got. My co-worker says, I'm a really strong Christian. <laughs> that may or may not be the best thing to hear or listen to, depending on who it's coming from. Because, see, there are fools out there, and they don't even know what they're talking about, but they are more than, well, they are more than happy and they are more than willing to sing the praises of the one who is not at all what they're supposed to be. And so Solomon said, you've got to understand this. It's not necessarily wrong in and of itself to hear a compliment or a, a kind remark from somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about. 
Because we've all received those, right? And we've all received compliments that we needed to say, thank you, consider the source and just keep moving. But what Solomon said is this, is it's actually more profitable for you to hear the rebuke, to get stung by the words of a wise person who is correcting you than to listen to some fool tell you how great you are. Now, why would it be more profitable to hear the rebuke of the wise rather than the song of the fool? It's pretty simple, isn't it? So I don't know. And it is. It's real simple. Well, why is it better to hear the rebuke of the wise rather than the song of the fool? Because here's what will happen. If we will listen to the rebuke of the wise, it will always help us become the person we need to be. If I'm not what I'm supposed to be, and someone comes along and says, Kyle, you're dropping the ball, buddy. I've been watching you and I've been observing you, and you're not doing what you ought to be doing here. Listen, if I am willing to hear that and give it the attention it deserves... That comment, though it may sting, though it may make me a little upset or angry even, if I am willing to listen to that, it will help me get to where I need to be as a man. But if all I ever do is surround myself with the song of fools, you know what I will do? I will stay where I'm at. And I will never improve or become the man I'm supposed to be. If all you as an individual does is surround yourself with those who tell you you're fine and you're good and everything's okay, then you know what will happen? You'll start to believe it. And you will never become the man, the woman, the young adult you're supposed to be. Solomon's not, listen, he's not being harsh. He's not being hateful here. He's just saying, you need to understand something. It would be better for you to get rebuked than to hear the song of some fool who doesn't know what they're talking about. Now think about all this in relation to what I said just a moment ago by way of every living creature having a sense of instinct. Every one of us have a way of behaving, thinking, or feeling, and it is not learned. So think about this for just a moment. Imagine you've got two children of, I don't know, seven, eight, nine years old. You've got two children... And one has just been corrected by their parent. Their friend naturally might say something like this. Well, your mom's mean. Right? Because kids kind of think that way. Man, your mom is mad. Man, your mom is mean. You know what that kid's going to say? I know. She always yells at me. 
She's always upset at me about something. You know who that kid's going to migrate toward? That kid's going to migrate toward the kid who is attacking the mom. That kid will never say to their seven or eight year old friend, Hey, listen, buddy, you're out of line. I was wrong right there. Mom's just trying to protect me and mom's just trying to help me. Seven, eight year olds don't do that. What do they do? They always go to the one who would make them feel better because that's what we are as people instinctively. We are people who go to those who tell us we're okay and we're fine and everything's good. Nobody ever had to teach us to gang up on the teacher who was enforcing rules. We went to where our buddies were at who told us and we were in full agreement that the teacher was out of line. And all through life, what do we tend to do instinctively? We tend to go to people who tell us we're okay. Who tell us we're fine. And that we're not the problem. Someone or something else is the problem. Now think about this. It is true from childhood through adulthood, even in our spiritual lives. I just want you to think about this. I'm not trying to be critical. I'm not casting stones or anything of this nature. But I want us to think about it this morning. What are some of the bigger churches in our society today? It's the ones who are constantly telling people, you're okay. You're good. Everything's fine. Why are those churches thriving and why are those churches doing so well? Because here's what people want to hear. They want to hear that they're good rather than to be rebuked. Don't make me feel bad. Don't tell me I've done something wrong. Don't tell me I'm not measuring up. And so instinctively, even from a spiritual perspective, what do people do? They run to where they will get to hear the song of a fool rather than to have to listen to the rebuke of the wise. I'm just saying that is my instinct, that is your instinct, that is every person who has walked on this earth. It is their instinct to go to people who make them feel good. But that never gets us where we need to be. You understand that? I don't care what the setting is, I'm going to say it again. Always associating with the people who are telling us consistently we're okay, that'll never, ever get us to where we need to be in our personal lives. So what do we have to do? We have to do something that is very difficult and sometimes seems next to impossible. We have to reprogram ourselves, so to speak, as it relates to our instincts. See, at some point, if we want to become the men and women we're supposed to be, we have to start thinking about this. Who is the person that just complimented me and sang my praises? Is that really a compliment worth giving any attention to? Understand what I'm saying? We've we, we got to start thinking differently. 
Rather than just accepting it and saying, oh, they think I'm great and they think I'm wonderful, we need to ask ourselves, what kind of credibility does this person have who's telling me how great I am? And then in this reprogramming ourselves, again, with the power of God in our lives, we have to start getting a little bit thicker skinned and not being so sensitive anytime someone might confront us. Or challenge us. Or correct us. See, so many times we're like that child. We don't respond by saying, hey, listen, I know that you're just trying to help me. No, we're siding up. Can you believe so-and-so said what they did to me? Can you believe? Don't they know how good I am? See, we, we got to reprogram our thinking and say, now, hold on. That person cared enough about me to challenge me, to confront me, to rebuke me, to tell me I'm wrong. We've got to get to a point, and again, I know it's hard to do, and it's not what my flesh naturally cries out for, but we have got to get to the point where we say, you know what, the fact that they were willing to correct me, even though it kind of stung a little bit, that was actually better for me than to hear some compliment from someone who doesn't have a clue about what's going on in life. We've got to get there. Because until we get to the point where we understand the value of correction, we will never be what God desires us to be. And I know, I know, I know, it would be so easy for us to sit here and say, oh, I don't mind correction at all. I don't mind rebukes at all. That's garbage. Just let the wrong person correct you and you'll go on all sorts of defensive modes that you don't even remember you had. I don't mind if they correct me. She can't correct me, though. Hold on. I don't mind if she corrects me, but he better not say a word. Hold on. That's not the right attitude. See, in that moment, you're immediately reverting back to instinct. What we have to be willing to do is say, you know what? That stung and that hurt. And, man, that, that, that one was painful. But I needed that. Because I'd become complacent in this area. I'd become comfortable in this area. I'd gotten to a point in my life where I didn't even notice my problems anymore. Well, that one kind of shook me, but I needed it. That's where we've got to get in our spiritual lives. Because until we get there, we will never be what we're supposed to be. So I don't know how to challenge you this morning. I don't know what to say to you that would be a real help as, as we leave. Other than to say this, ask the Lord to help you to be careful who you give your attention to and who you listen to. If you've got this person who's always telling you how great they are, how great you are, stop and consider who that source may be. And before you write off the big bad jerk who corrected you and said something that you didn't like, be willing to ask yourself, where were they coming from? What kind of point did they have? Is it something I needed? Because when we get to the point that we will listen to the rebuke, we can make the changes that are necessary and we can become what we're supposed to be. Let's all stand this morning and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Fathers, I come to you this morning, I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who would do exactly what Solomon 
declared as best. I pray that you'd help us to be men and women who recognize the benefit and the help of the rebuke of a wise person who would care about us enough to confront us and to challenge us, maybe in ways that are hurtful at times. I pray that we would see that it's so much better for that to happen than for people to just repeatedly tell us how good we are and us to stay where we're at forever. So I pray that you'd help us today. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.